imagina la gente saliendo de ese inmueble? Era una vergüenza del Canelo. Nomás peleó toda la pelea yendo para atrás. No fue para adelante, para nada. Y en serio sí le robaron al Triple G. Y vino a dar un gran pelea y traigo esta camisa de Canelo, pero hasta me da vergüenza a tenerlo. Y está bien que toda la gente no lo apoyó al último porque... No, Canelo, no. No vino a pelear Mexican Style. Mexican Greetings, Grandstanders. Welcome to a very, very, very special edition of Grandstand Podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the uh, fight that just occurred uh, last night between Canelo Alvarez and Triple G. So we're going to get right into it. I'm going to say hello first to the professor and then introduce our guest. Uh, professor, how are you? Doing good, good. Really excited for today's podcast. Excellent. Today we have uh, Roberto Jose Andrade Franco. He is a freelance writer and history PhD candidate at Southern Methodist University. You can find his work at boxingandhistory.com. Uh, Roberto wrote an excellent piece that I recommend to all the grandstanders out there, uh, published in Deadspin this weekend, about the complicated and polarizing figure that is Canelo Alvarez. So in the wake of the Canelo Triple G bout, that just happened and, and of course, ended in, in a somewhat controversial fashion. We wanted to talk to Roberto and get his take on Canelo de la, uh, de la Hoya, uh, Mexican fandom, and last night's fight. Uh, Roberto, thank you very much for being, here, for being here. How are you, my friend? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, Roberto, can you tell us a little bit, uh, a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what inspired you to do this work, uh, talking about boxing and sports uh, from a socio-historical lens, we, you know, this is, this is right up our alley here at Grandstand. Give us a little background, yeah? Yeah, well, I'm originally from uh, El Paso, Juarez, the borderland. My parents are, are from Juarez, and, and my father was in the military, so we moved around a lot. But I, I still consider El Paso, Juarez, my home. And uh, I mean, I didn't start studying history up until 10 years after I graduated high school when I was working construction for... For over a decade, really, and uh, wasn't until until a decade later that I decided that uh, I should probably attend college rather than working outdoors in the heat. And uh, so I was boxing was always part of my life. My my father for a while was trying to be a boxing trainer, trying to train my my uncle, his younger his younger brother, since he always ended up getting into these these street fights. But uh, you know, that lasted a couple of days once he realized he didn't have the commitment to run every morning. And uh, so boxing's always essentially been a part of my life. And that's how I combined that with my my knowledge and, and love of history. And I combined them both. So you wrote this piece uh, about Canelo titled, Who is Saul Canelo Alvarez? Uh, which uh, listeners can find on Deadspin. Can you right. tell us... Tell, tell us a little bit about. Well, first of all, tell us a little bit about um, um, what this means to the, the 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 Mexican crowd in in, in Mexico, and then the the Mexicanos and, and Mexican Americans that live on the northern side of the border. 
why is this character such a polarizing figure in that narrative? Well, the way the way I I understand him, and the way I think most people, the way he's he's often portrayed is this is this kind of next great Mexican boxer who is might in some circles be considered much more popular than he is skilled. I necessarily don't buy into that. I think he 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 really is skilled. But, uh, you know, just his dealings with, with things, as I point out in the article, with things like Televisa, things like Golden Boy Promotions. And as we saw last night, he's, he's been on the receiving end on some of various close decisions. This would mark the fourth time, if you count his fight against Lara, against Trout, against uh, even Cotto, where he's been giving the benefit of the doubt in, in some very close rounds, and he's able to avoid a loss. Uh, so he's this this the way I see him. He's a very polarizing figure, where he's equally uh, loved, maybe even begrudgingly, just because it it appears sometimes that there's no next great Mexican star. And uh, yeah, there's there's another part that he's actually very skillful fighter, and of course. Part of this is his, he's got a different skill set than what is uh, traditionally is viewed as a Mexican warrior, this Mexican style, which Golovkin has, has constantly pointed to, including all throughout the post-fight interview last night. Uh, whereas Canelo's not, he's not this overtly, overtly offensive fighter where he's just reckless and he's much more, uh, he's much more intelligent in, in the way he fights. He's much more defensive orientated and, uh, and I think that really makes him different than what is perceived to be as a stereotypical Mexican boxer. How how would you compare? Because would you agree that Juan Manuel Marquez is also a very um, intelligent a fighter who, I guess, he's willing to be reckless if he has to be. Um, right. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that's the difference? Is that he's he is willing to? to uh, throw down occasionally when he has to. Um, and, and that's why uh, he, it seems he's fully respected amongst the Mexican fan base as a warrior. Uh, but he, right. too, is a defensive, you know, intelligent counterboxer. Uh, why does he not get the same criticism as, as Canelo? I think a large part of this is because of his losses to Manny Pacquiao, right? And and there's this there's this notion that he was wrongfully... He was essentially robbed in, in, in several of the fights, which I'm not sure I agree with. But especially in the first fight when he gets knocked down five times, I believe, and he just continues to get up, I think that alone just proved that he had uh, this mentality. And even if he was a defensive-orientated fighter, he was not going to uh, simply go down. And just the fact that three times he... he he lost to Pacquiao or, or four times, actually. Well, three times in one draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that, I think essentially that kind of made his career. Because before that, he was a very mismanaged boxer. You know, he goes to, I believe, Thailand to find, fight Chris John for something like $30,000, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, he takes these very right. odd fights throughout his career. And if it isn't for, for the Pacquiao fights... He's essentially forgotten amongst amongst uh, 
uh, I'm blanking on the names here, uh, uh, Eric Morales and uh, Barrera. Barrera, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think the main difference with that is that whereas uh, Canelo has been given the benefit of the doubt once again in all of these close decisions, uh, Pacquiao was obviously the A side throughout throughout his fights against uh, Marco Antonio Marco uh, Marquez. Uh, Marquez, right? Does it seem? Do you feel? Does the Mexican fan need to see their fighters go through through suffering and pain to to embrace them? Mm. I I don't know. That's a good question because I think. Part of the thing that that attracts people to this, I mean, part of the part of the Chavez senior, obviously, part of that myth is is that he's essentially getting his ass kicked for for all but five seconds of his fight uh, against uh, against Taylor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think I think there's something to be said for for them fighting back for this this. This notion of a, the Mexican warrior fighting back and not not relenting, but there's also something to be said for fighting back as an underdog. And outside of his fight against Mayweather and this fight against Golovkin, uh, Canelo's never been an underdog essentially. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to ask you about this uh, in in that Chavez piece that you wrote, which is excellent piece. I really enjoyed that one. Thank you. Um, you said you 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 quoted or cited Octavio Paz saying the the Mexican, and this is uh, from the article, wrote Paz in the Labyrinth of Solitude venerates a bleeding and humiliating Christ, the Christ who has been beaten by the soldiers and condemned by the judges because he sees in him a transfigured image of his own identity. I that was a very powerful uh, connection there that you made, my friend. Right. Yeah, well, I think part of, I guess, everybody's, I would say, most people's experiences as Mexicans, Mexican-Americans, or even Latino as a whole, or even minorities, mm-hmm. is that you're just, you're an underdog, essentially, right? Socially or, or, or whatever, you're you're an underdog. It's it's easy to relate to, to the person who hasn't been given every advantage as Canelo's perceived to have been. And when... And beyond just every advantage, there's, there's also like a tinge of, of corruption in some of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's that's what I think people want to root for Canelo. But all these little things that have happened kind of distances, dis, distances him away from from the culture, from 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 relatability for the most part. Do you see those? Do you see it as a whole confluence of things that kind of come together and create this, 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 uh, this, this dissonance where the 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 the, the fans who don't approve of him are, are 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 maybe just? I feel like there's there's some there's some ambivalence because you don't really know how you want to feel about him, or is or there are, are there are there really heavy motifs or themes that really just rub the 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 boxing fans, the, the Mexicanos, Mexican Americans. Or just boxing fans in general, uh, uh, is there is there a single thing, or do you see it as a whole kind of compendium of things? I think it's 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 a whole thing, but I th- I think Canelo's also 
in this odd position where he is by far the most marketable boxer in the United States, arguably the world, and, and even if not, just slightly behind Anthony Joshua. But with that comes an appeal to the casual fans. And the casual fans may not have the same appreciation of the nuances which he dis- displays, uh, especially on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. right? So he, he's ironically attracting the very people that are going to end up disliking him to a certain extent. Right, mm-hmm. that that uh, the people that are attracted to the Triple G versus Canelo fight are the ones that are expecting this whole Mexican style, and 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 Canelo played up to it by saying he was going for the knockout and such. And once you tune in, uh, you know, once like I said before, he's a defensive fighter, so for a better part of that fight, he was he was backpedaling, right? And if he wasn't backpedaling, he was he was avoiding the shots and just landing these subtle body shots. And uh, that would have amounted to something eventually, but definitely not enough to not enough last night, at least. You know, something on on what you just this this mention of the of him appealing to to the casual fan and trying to market him to the casual fan. Do you um, do you watch the HBO twenty four sevens? I I did not watch this one, but yeah, I've seen I know I've seen the series because I've noticed the. Kind of the, the the story they do they use for for Canelo the way the narrative they use to build him up is that of of ironically of an underdog of of a kid who came from nothing they they always highlight his story which actually you get to and we can talk about this next is that you know is is the the son of a paletero like he he grew up in poverty and and worked his way up. Um, and so I think that's interesting for a lot of for for the American fans who who know of him through through that story. Um, they don't see a an entitled, privileged fighter. They see you know they see quite the opposite. Right. I mean, it's. I mean, yeah, he's he's he comes from very humble beginnings. Uh, I feel the way he's been he's been promoted is is. I think De La Hoya deserves a lot of blame of this, if not most of the blame, whereas he, he's promoting him as something that he is not. And he's arguably horribly mismanaged his career, first by fighting Mayweather way too soon and now by fighting Golovkin a, a few years too late. Of course, he would argue that, you know, he's a promoter and and Mayweather probably wouldn't have fought him at age 25 and, and, you know, Golovkin probably beats him much more easier, uh, two years ago. So, you know, there's, there's this whole economic aspect of this, but I, I just feel he's, uh, I don't know. I always, I mean, this is just based on my, my feeling. I have nothing to substantiate this, but there just feels like there's tension between Canelo and, and, uh, De La Hoya at all times, even leading up to this fight where, where, De La Hoya is talking about a trilogy and, you know, Canelo's right next to him. He's like, no, there's, there's not going to be any trilogy. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I feel there's, there's this, there's, and, and De La Hoya would always point to this throughout the fight that, that he always had to hold back Canelo, uh, from wanting to fight the best available. Right. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's, there's a disconnect there as far as what their mutual goal is. 
I guess in the long run, it's the same. But how to get to that point, their their routes vary. You you mentioned the Deloya possibly mismanaging him, but also the fact that, like you wrote in uh, the other piece uh, on uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., um, how much do you see De La Hoya as just kind of what he represents for the Mexican and Mexican-American fight fan and kind of that, that, that creeped into, seeped into into the brand of Canelo? I mean, how much has that just in it of itself uh, affected him? Well, I think, as I wrote, I'm, De La Hoya is basically uh, promoting him using his own career as a model, right? Mm -hmm. And and there's this appeal, this mass appeal to, to as, as many people as possible is, is, is the way he's going about it, which, you know, once again, economically, it makes perfect sense, but I'm not sure that's, that's doing any, him any favors amongst the, I don't know, I, I know amongst the hardcore fans, I, I suppose, for lack of a better term. But then again, the hardcore fans aren't aren't going to make him a multimillionaire. You know, if, if he doesn't have this appeal, then he's he might be still fighting in uh, in uh, in Mexico somewhere. Right. Yeah. And can we blame the man for doing that? No, I don't. No. I don't think so. No. <laughs> I mean, no. I, especially with boxing. I mean, he's a it's a brutal sport, right? So if if I mean, I. I don't know. I I guess I, I sound like I'm very uh, very anti Canelo, but I actually like him, you know. But I just I just he's he's a he's a very mysterious figure to me, which is you know why I wrote this this piece where he's you know as you mentioned he's promoted as this humble guy, which he is. He comes from a humble background, but he's promoted as that, and that's it. Where there's there's much more to him. And there's much more to 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 who he is, and and you know the as far back as 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 they mentioned, they'll they'll only mention that he started boxing at 15 years old, and, and you know all of a sudden he comes back uh, to the United States, and but there's as with most boxers who are who are marked pegged as the face of boxing, you know there's there's a lot of pulling interest in that boxer, and and they had, they're under incredible pressure, not just not just from them, but all the all the the people that have millions tied into them, you know, essentially, <laughs> uh, essentially a whole sport, right? Uh, I mean, Roy Jones Jr. mentioned it yesterday that basically a draw is good for the sport. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit more about how you see uh, Mexico's class divide uh, influencing the the mixed perception that that Mexican fans have towards Canelo? Well, I think. Uh, I think more than a class divide, it's a, it's a Mexico, Mexican, Mexican American thing, mm -hmm. where, which once again, I mean, this is, it's almost impossible to 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 extricate class from this whole discussion as as is race, but just to to make it into simpler terms, I think Mexican Americans are at the forefront of all that is being promoted based around Canelo Alvarez, right? Whereas whereas Mexicans uh they still see it but it's 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 from a different perspective where he was a Televisa fighter and 
and, you know, as as I point out in, in the piece for, for Deadspin, there's a deep history of corruption with Televisa and and, and just just all that 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 means to be part of Televisa and not just to be part of Televisa. It's one thing to be a uh, an actor for Televisa. It's quite another to be the supposed next great American boxer from who just happens to fight on Televisa. Mm. Uh, so I think there's a huge divide over over the perception and now i feel that increasingly that that perception is starting to to that perception of of canelo being the beneficiary of so many so many things working in in his uh in his favor is starting to uh starting to starting to hit here in the united in the united states and and definitely last night's uh decisions not going to help him at all <laughs> It just in in many ways it almost legitimizes all of these these concerns or criticisms that that uh, you know he's being protected. Something interesting that I observed is is people's reactions to that to that decision and to the to the what suspicion that um, there's something fishy going on there. Fans, many fans uh, had a problem with it. a lot of people. Um, I mean, we we heard all the all the anger that came from from especially from uh, Adelaide Bird's uh, scorecard. But uh, Chavez Senior, uh, Juan Manuel Marquez, uh, basically that whole like the whole ESPN uh, crew, they kind of seem to just be okay with it. like just. Hey, like, yeah, oh, of course, you know, of course, that, that's, this is boxing. Um, but whatever, let's move on from that and let's, uh, really, ultimately, they were kind of celebrating what they saw as, um, wow, Canelo really showed us that he, he he's actually, he's, he's a pretty good fighter. He proved it. Um, and they were just a lot more easily willing to get over the, the corruption element of, of what happened last night. I don't know, did you notice right. that at all? Yeah, I noticed some of it, but I think, I, I don't. You know, to be honest, I feel the the Adelaide Bird scorecard, which which appropriately has taken away a lot of of the credit that I right. believe uh, Canelo deserves. Yeah. Right. I think for the most part, most people felt once you thought about it logically or or, or removed from any nationalistic uh, perspective, I think that the majority of people expected Dela. Canelo to get knocked out, and and some in some cases I saw. I mean, some of these people weren't weren't experts by any means, but uh, they expected Triple G to just completely run through him, right? And I think that that what's being lost in all of this because of the one eighteen one ten card is that it was actually a very close fight, at least the way I I saw it. Now it might have not been a draw, but I think. I think the only way I think a draw was defensible once again if 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 you give all of these close rounds, which by my count there is at least four. If you give all of these close rounds to Canelo, then then a draw is defensible. And even if it's not, I think a something like a, a one something like a one fifteen, one sixteen, one fourteen card, something the a round or two that could swing either way. I think that was an entirely close close fight. Yeah, I agree. And then, uh, you know, there's all these things that play into our perception of of what we see in the ring, right? Especially, 
to the untrained eye who doesn't see that many boxing uh, matches, like how these apparently barrages or, or punches thrown appear to be hurting a boxer, but maybe they're, you know, half of them are being blocked or defended or, you know, th- there's, there's all these other elements that go into our perception of how we see things. Correct. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, at the end of the fight, just, just based on, on their facial features, <laughs> it looks like Golovkin took a lot more pounding than Canelo did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and all of these little things of, I mean, essentially Canelo, neutralized the major advantage that that all of of Golovkin's major advantages which were all on the offensive front right and after the fight I thought it was very telling that that Golovkin is essentially saying that he won but he could have made it clear had Canelo just pretty much stood there in in exchange (laughs) which is not at all what Canelo is right it's like uh, Golovkin talked himself. He started believing his own hype and talked himself into into this whole Mexican style thing. And 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 once it didn't happen, it was, it was almost like he was shocked that Canelo wouldn't do that. Like he hadn't studied film on him before or something. How do you feel about uh, Canelo's statement that he doesn't believe a, a Mexican style of boxing truly exists? Well. And I guess and for for the audience, if you could explain, can you tell us what Mexican style is? Right. Well, I guess, I guess the 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 stereotypical Mexican style is just just overt aggression, uh, emphasis on body shots. Uh, you know, this whole give two to take one, or uh, take two to give one aspect that that essentially your 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 tenacity will wear down your opponent, uh, either by completely disheartening them or 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 something like that, and 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 in all of this, the defense is is, is just secondary at best. And I, I think when when I heard Canelo say that, I've, I, I mean, obviously he's biased when he's saying this, right? But you know, it's, it was also interesting that that the follow up question from Chavez was asking him, well, what's your style then? And you know, he says, well, it's Mexican style, and and that kind of it sounded funny, it sounded contradictory, but I right. think it kind of just shows. Canelo's point that the Mexican style is just very fluid, right? It's not just just this this let's just ignore everything and let's just get in this middle of the ring and swing away as as you mentioned earlier, uh, Juan Manuel Marquez. You know this is this is this is I would say people would would include him in in Mexican style, you know. But I, I also feel the the shadow of who Julio Cesar Chavez is. I mean it's it's. It, it casts a long shadow, you know. It's 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 more myth than anything else, I would argue, and and it's very influential. And I think most most boxers that are this close, that come a generation or two after Julio Cesar Chavez, are going to be measured by that uh, by that standard, which is unfair and and also unrealistic. Really, it's it, it's almost. Julio Cesar Chavez is is essentially the Michael Jordan of Mexican boxing, where you know Kobe can't ex- escape it, LeBron can't escape it, and it, nobody's really going to be able to escape it until a couple of generations from now. Right. Do you feel that the the enigma, the, the what adds to the enigma of the Canelo archetype is that 
we we haven't seen it we're not it, we we just it's just new and we haven't we haven't we don't have the eyes to appreciate it or is this something that just never will come the to be uh, as far as uh mexican boxers mm, i don't i'm not sure i'm not sure uh i'm not as i mentioned i'm not sure if 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 canelo's the new norm or if he's just this anomaly where he's just just this superstar that's overly reliant on defense, you know, and, and without, you know, obviously, I mean, we're, we're getting past Mexican boxing here, but Mayweather's relying on defense, but yet his appeal is, is, is him inviting people to hate him. Whereas Canelo doesn't do that, but it just kind of naturally happens, which is once again, it's just, just very odd who he is. And how he's perceived. He's perceived so many different ways, and yet he's he's not. He's not these 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 ideals. He doesn't follow this. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if if I don't know if this is the new norm, or or if he's just or if he's you know I don't I'm I'm not entirely sure how to answer that. I will say though that. I've always felt that Canelo was the prototypical uh, Nacho Berestein boxer. Why don't we go with that? Yeah, and and had these two somehow linked up, had Canelo Alvarez somehow been from Mexico City or or a suburb around there, had he been from Tepito, basically, I think he would have had a lot more acceptance, right? Hmm. Because he's he has this backing of this institution for lack of a better yeah, word that is absolutely. that is Berestein. He 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 uh he co-signs them, right? He co-signs mm-hmm. his styles and he's and I've always felt that that Canelo was a perfect match for Berestein, but I mean from all these things you read that that Canelo's a very loyal person and he, he I mean he appears to be, mm-hmm. you know, uh for for a few years I thought his main his main flaw was his corner. But now it seems like his corner's actually gotten a lot better. Uh, but I don't know. I, I feel that uh, he's just in this – he's just an outsider. You, you know, know that's a great word because I, I think that kind of gets to this idea, for me at least, especially after reading that piece that you wrote. Like, I, it really changed my perception of Canelo. Um uh, I, I've all I've just been completely indifferent to Canelo, um, uh, and there's many reasons for it. But but mostly what I what I got what I got from that piece that you wrote is it almost seems like like this young kid got kind of swept up by these huge forces that are bigger than most of us can even begin to understand, right? Uh, right. Kind of like you were mentioning earlier, and and to to be taken up by by well boxing is already a, an institution that 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 can that is not for everyone not for the meek you know and then and then you take Televisa and then you take De La Hoya just seems like like this uh whirlwind tour of 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 so many masters having to have to serve and and maybe he maybe as he matures he's coming to the realization that I I can be I don't have to be the you know the Mexican style you know I can be my own and well, I think know, just, go ahead I think part of this, which we haven't touched on, but I touch on 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 that on that Deadspin article, is uh, his problems with the WBC. Right. 
right? Whereas the WC, the WBC is historically corrupt, notoriously corrupt to the point that even once again, the great Julio Cesar Chavez can't escape this, right? At, at some point, Julio Cesar Chavez is trying to trying to distance himself from Don King, who is obviously robbing him, and uh, Jose Suleiman refuses to sanction one of his fights unless he returns with Don King, mm-hmm. right? So there's this there's this huge issue with with how much power the WC has, not just in boxing but in Mexico, right. and when. When Canelo Alvarez, once again, an outsider, tells him basically to fuck off. But can we curse? Yeah, you can curse. <laughs> you know, once once he tells him, once he tells him, listen, you know, I don't I don't need you anymore. At, at some point, maybe I did need you. At some point, I I, uh, I benefited from all you have. But now you're you're putting this pressure on me to to fight Golovkin, and I'm not ready. You know, whether whether he was or not, that by him vacating. The title essentially says he wasn't ready, right? And once he does that, I feel the WBC is just left, just left with this almost existential crisis. <laughs> We're like, well, if we've alienated and pushed away Mexico's largest, biggest, most powerful boxer that there is, then what? What purpose do we serve? Mm-hmm. You know. So now they're trying to 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 make up all these fake little belts, even for the Mayweather-McGregor fight and mm-hmm. the Wishore belt, the, the second reincarnation, and, and they're probably going to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way I see it is they're, they're, they're trying to get back into the good graces of, of Canelo, who no longer needs them, right? He's, he's one of the few, maybe even the only boxer, well, he's one of the handful of boxers who could actually tell the WBC or any organization He's like, no, I don't, I don't need you. I don't need to pay your sanctioning fee. At this point, I'm so popular that that you're actually costing me money. There's, there's no, there's no point in me uh, aligning myself with you, right? So I think that that might point to a uh, realization of of Canelo as as he's maturing and realizing his own power, and. Uh, and moving on, maybe maybe eventually he does so with with all these other forces, whether it's uh, De La Oya or uh, or uh, or anyone else who who has so much interest tied up into him. Yeah, you you got me perceiving him differently. Uh, I, I see, start to see uh, some revolutionary aspects to what he's doing. Right. So I, I want to go back to something. Uh, read another piece of yours where you talk about black code uh, in boxing, which right. I thought that was that was enlightening, and uh, I can't wait to share it with all of my Mexican deals uh, next time we get together for the next uh, right. match because that's always a point of contention, as you I'm sure know. Right. Uh, you probably grew up hearing this argument, but can can you tell us a little bit about what black code is and how it contrasts? Uh, how it's the, 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 the opposite of maybe perhaps of, of the Mexican style and, and tell us where it came from and why and, and how maybe this applies to this conversation right now? Well, Black Code uh, is born out of out of African-Americans being discriminated against in, in boxing, whereas the only chance you had to make a living was basically as an opponent, right? So uh, you were given the opportunity... To either lose or to win, but just slightly, so that you didn't, 
didn't uh, make it seem like you were uh, you were superior, right? This is obviously this is around the the, the early nineteenth, the late eighteenth century, up until about the mid nineteen mid nineteen hundreds, early nineteenth century. I'm sorry, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, late eighteen hundreds to about the mid nineteen hundreds. This is where it where it occurred. So. If you wanted to make a living out of boxing, if you're a prize fighter and you're black, the best way to make a living is to to lose or to win but not as convincingly. And if you're trying to do that, then defense takes precedent over anything else. Because if, if, if you're losing and you're getting destroyed, then, you know, you're out for months and there goes your ability to earn a living. So, therefore, there's... there's the black code is just this defensive orientated style of fighting where you're at control at all possible moments of the fight, right? And even if you lose, you're essentially carrying your opponent. And this is this is almost the way of, of uh, self-preservation if you're if you're a if you're a black boxer during the Jim Crow era and and, and arguably up until uh, not too not too distant ago. And, yes. you know, with, with, with that article I wrote, some people have argued that, that the last person to practice this, I mean, maybe maybe he won't be the last person, but amongst the last person to, to currently practice it is, is Floyd Mayweather. You saw this also with Winky Wright, you know, mm-hmm. where, where people just feel that they're, you know, this is, this is a common criticism that I always heard, and I'm sure you guys always heard around, uh, Mayweather from from your deals was was you know all he does is run around, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't fight. He doesn't stand there. Which once again is was one of the criticisms last night of of uh, of Canelo. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that's that's a uh, a very loose definition uh, of what black code is. Yeah, that was fascinating stuff. I'd I'd never, I'm as I'm sure probably most people have never um, heard of that. You know, Jack Johnson, as you you know, he was the first black heavyweight champion. And throughout, if you go back and you read these various accounts of his fights, most of them are mentioning that he's lazy, even though he's winning these fights, because he's defensively orientated, right? Because he's not fighting, because he's standing on his back foot and... and uh, and evading punches more so than attacking... You know, in in this, in a in a more contemporary setting, it would be like, well, you know, Mayweather doesn't do much besides hide behind his his shoulder, right? And that's all he does. And then the way he scores is just these little subtle punches that that they're not really uh, they're not really expressive because they're not shots to the face and their heads don't rock back. But it's just these little punches that accumulate over a fight that wear down an opponent. And at all times, once again, at all times, Floyd Mayweather, just like Jack Johnson before him, and all of these black boxers from from the 1930s to 60s, uh, you know, the way they fought. Yeah. When, bringing it back to Canelo, um, how do you see race playing into uh, into his perception and and the or the, rather the way the way he's perceived by by the boxing world? Well, he's I mean he's perceived as a pretty boy essentially, 
Uh, he's he's almost in in. He's almost like a reincarnation of of De La Hoya as far as what he does. But as with De La Hoya, uh, they're not given enough credit for for how tough they actually are. Right, and I think part of this race is just that that he's very marketable because he's he's unique in that he has he's unique. Uh, against the stereotype, right? Where, you know, redheaded Mexicans is not that rare. But <laughs> you're a redheaded Mexican boxing. You know, that's 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 something that 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 you don't see often. So he's he's you know that this is where the race thing comes in. He's he's he could pass for a variety of things. <laughs> he could be Mexican, he could be white, he could be Irish, he could be could be anything. Right? So you could Fill in. We could almost fill in what you want him to be and how you want to market him, or or how you absorb him as as this marketing tool. You know, he's he's when during his early years, he's one of the things you always read while doing research for this paper was he's he's mentioned as the teen heartthrob, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, he's almost like he's he's a he's a member of Menudo that he just happens to fight. <laughs> So you know, yeah, he's marketed in in various ways, and and just these pictures you see of him, and he's so young. These pictures of 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 him standing next to 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 his opponents and next to De La Hoya, and he's 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 just he's just a kid, really. Yeah, you know, so th- that opens up so many more different. He's a kid. He's a white kid and a redheaded kid, a freckled redheaded kid. So these, this opens up so many different avenues to to market him that that aren't generally available to the stereotypical boxer, let alone Mexican boxer. How do you feel now that this, with the outcome, um, how do you feel Canelo's status in the eyes of the, of the pundits and fans were, was, was impacted after his, his bout last night? Well, that draw didn't really, it might've done his record. It might've saved his record as only having one loss, but definitely didn't do him any favors so far as, the questions of how he's perceived, right? If anything, it almost it almost points him out. It almost points out this inherent corruption in boxing. Which, once again, I I'm just I'm just going back to this just because I this is the general perception. But I'm not. I think outside of the 118, 110 card, those cards were pretty much the way I felt the fight went, right? Uh, but you know, once again, part of the the what he attracts is casual fans, and you know, if you hear one eighteen, one ten, and that that judge Adelaide Bird only gave Gennady Golovkin two out of the twelve rounds, you know, that's 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 ridiculous. So all of this is just gonna, I think it's it's just gonna negatively, maybe not affect him. I'm I'm not sure if this is gonna have like some long lasting effect on on how Canelo handles himself, but how he's perceived and these questions are definitely going to be there. And even if a year from now or or Cinco de Mayo in 2018, even if he does beat Golovkin, there's always going to be questions of, well, he was that much older, right? And, you know, he barely beat him when he was 35. He definitely would have lost to him when he was 33. This is what, quote unquote, the common knowledge would say. And, you know, 
at 36 years old if he beats Golovkin. It's it's I don't I don't I don't think it's going to do much for for how he's perceived and all these questions that revolve around who he really is as a boxer and 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 more so as a as an entity really as a as a commercial entity. Which is kind of which is similar to similar with Mayweather how you know win after win at least in the last decade or so win after win was always followed by you know by more critique. Um, do you think is it possible that maybe Canelo is better? He's just a better natural villain, uh, and so the same way Mayweather eventually realized he at at some point in his career, and it ended up being great for his career when he realized, you know what? If I just play up the villain character, um, we can we can really really start selling some tickets. Um, should maybe Canelo embrace just being the guy that everybody wants to? Wants to see get beat. Well, I think he's done enough of that without actually trying. wanting to do it. <laughs> yeah, without actually trying. Just once again, just the way he fights, and 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 the way uh, certain little things he does. Even yesterday, saying that he lost, that he won seven or eight rounds, even though. Beginning at round ten, his own corners telling him that he needs to fight the last three rounds. Essentially, the 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 fight, the way I I saw it, it was Eddie Reynoso telling him the fight was up for grabs still, and he had to fight these last three rounds. You know, there's there, there's there's an arrogance to him mm-hmm. that that's probably required to be where he's at. But he's he's just. He's just a villain without wanting to be one. If if, if that makes sense, I don't. I don't, I don't know. I I just kind of go back and forth on on who he is, you know. Outside of he being a at least according to me a, a very skillful fighter, maybe even a great fighter. Outside of outside of that, and that's according to me. For you know, my thoughts. There's ten, fifteen other people who who see him as a fraud. Uh. Yeah, I, I I just go back and forth, and I think really another part of this is language, right? Where he's able to communicate directly with with Spanish speakers, whereas let's just put Gennady Golovkin as an example. Just the way he speaks, the way he speaks English, gives him a certain amount of leniency as being humble or. Certain things are lost in translation because he says, you know, big drama show. He has these catchphrases that sound very odd, but, you know, they're, they're, there's a likability to them. But yeah. Canelo's actually communicating, you know, there's there's nothing lost in translation when he's when he's talking to, to Latino fans, which are the backbone of boxing. I think that, that plays a role into this. That's an excellent point, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, kind of going back to your question, I'm not sure if I answered it. I'm not sure if he takes a, a a villain turn just more so than he already has naturally without actually trying to be a villain. Yeah. Because he doesn't, at this point, he doesn't need to. You know, he, he's still, people will still buy tickets to see him lose or to see <laughs> him exposed without him having to, to go the Mayweather route and, and just flaunting money. And taking on this persona of the money Mayweather, right? 
I think he just by being who he is, Canelo Alvarez, and owning the most expensive and unique Jeep in Mexico, <laughs> I think that alone is enough to to make him villainous, even though he's he's not doing anything different than than any other boxer would do. You know, there's there's sports illustrated pictures of the eighties and, and Julio Cesar Chavez just sitting in his in his convertible uh convertible car in the middle of Culiacan, right? Mm. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's not doing anything different than any other boxer has done, but there's just something about him that's just not likable, really. We, we've primed yeah. ourselves to see him in a certain way, and now we can't not see that character. Yeah. Right. So do you ever see the crossover happening? Or is this something a conversation we're going to still have twenty five years from now? The 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 Mexican style versus uh, the uh, well, let's call it for now the the black code. Do you see that as a continuing narrative in this story, as far as Mexicanos are concerned and, and Mexican Americans, um, or or is this something that we can maybe evolve past if, if 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 it is evolving, whatever we want to call it? Do you ever see an embrace of that style? Um. Uh... No, not really. Mm. I think there's too many, too many historical factors, too many social, social, social factors into this. One amongst them is is machismo, mm-hmm. right? Where I guess, I guess theoretically, at some point, it could be there could be an appreciation for this, but I think just there's so many other forces outside of this with, with people still migrating and moving around and 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 when you arrive here in the United States and you don't speak the language and and you have a certain you're expected to do a certain labor you have to your identity revolves around something that is not going to be passive which is what the defensive style of fighting is perceived to be yeah. and i think i think this this occurs. I mean, it it, exp- it it shows itself much more in boxing than any other sport, just because it's a, by its very nature, it's a contact sport. But you see this in, I mean, across all different types of sports, right? Uh, you know, there's 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 these issues now with with Mexican Mexican American uh, soccer players and whether they should play for for Mexico or the United right. States, but you know, once again, it, the issue of machismo is not is not as 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 pressing in that. Whereas in boxing, I mean, it, it revolves around machismo, and 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 it's kind of revolves around the same kind of subject of the the attacking style of the Mexican national team versus the more defensive counterattack style of the U.S. national team, right? Which which kind of has its own little offshoots and things, but yeah, I, I, yeah. So you grew up in a border town, right? Yeah. In El Paso? Right. How do you feel this has impacted your experience as a, as a, as a sports fan or a grandstander, as we like to call it? Um, because, if, man, a lot of the stuff you're talking about, I feel like that a lot of it, almost all of it resonates with my experience as well and kind of my view of it and, and, and then of how there's, there's always 
there's always a, a greater context to the narrative, uh, so to speak. How, how do you think that experience, uh, uh, being in a border town, impacted your experience as a sportsman? Well, I think, and maybe you could relate to this also, I think if you're from a border town, border area, borderland, whether it's Mexico, the U.S., or any place in the world, although I'm speaking mostly with, with from my experience, but I, I I mean, let me know if I'm wrong here as far as it pertains to you, but I, I feel you're caught in this weird area where you're not part of the United States and you're not part of Mexico, but yet you're much more similar to your fellow Mexicans that mm -hmm. you share this border with mm -hmm. than you are to the rest of the world and even the state, right? So in my case, El Pasoans have much more in common with, with people from Juarez because, well, once again, in my case... No, I no, I, I think I think that that's like one of the many theses here at Grandstand. We, have, we share more in common with people from Tijuana than we do from L.A., you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, when once I moved out here to, to Dallas uh, three years ago, I would hear people mention, oh, I'm from West Texas. And most of the time I would ask them, oh, you're from El Paso. I'm from El Paso, too. And they meant Odessa, which is four hours away <laughs> away from El Paso. So <laughs> El Paso is essentially ignored. And, you know, I, I might be speaking with this you know, the chip on my shoulder kind of thing. But I think that develops once again where you might say, you know, L.A. or the rest of California ignores people from, from San Diego. Uh but it's not even con it, I would say it's not really considered part of Texas. It's more so considered part of Mexico and even New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Just like Juarez is this nor Juarez compared to the rest of Mexico is just this northern outpost out there where mm -hmm. you know, as the stereotype goes now, it's just lawlessness. Mm -hmm. So I think coming, actually leaving that area has influenced a lot of my thinking because when you're there and you're it's just the norm right and once i left and i returned for thanksgiving the first year i was gone then all of a sudden the border wall just stood out whereas before i used mm -hmm. to drive by that thing every day and never even paid much attention to it it just mm -hmm. blends into the the background right and once you go back and 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 you've taken these experiences as an outsider outside of this place where you at least bonded with other outsiders, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then you start to realize these things. It's like, wow, you know, this is, this is, this is very different. This is a very different society. This is a very different way of life than the rest of Texas, the rest of the United States. Right. And, and similarly, people from Juarez could be, this is very different from Chihuahua city and mm -hmm. Mexico, Mexico, uh, city. So I think that's 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 all impacted uh, how I how I view these things. And like I said, I I wouldn't have developed this perspective had I not left. Did your did your did did growing up in the border feed your or or, or um, feed your experience as a grandstander as a fan? Because I feel like you see a lot of things. You go very deep into all of your articles and. And you you use a lot of historical references, and I'm, I'm I was just wondering. I'm thinking, man, this I really relate to a lot of the things you said because we more or less grew up in a very similar environment, you know. Right. Um, 
and I always attribute my my desire for seeing the subtext uh, as as coming from 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 living and existing in a in a in this constant duality and seeing the subtext being almost forced to see the subtext subtext all the time because of that experience. Um, just curious, how much of that is is just your 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 desire to be a historian kind of feeds this or with the, the the duality of being bicultural uh, uh, have an effect you know what what yeah. what really what leads you to write with such like a depth in history when you write these pieces well i think it, it it's much more being bicultural than than a historian mm-hmm. because you know from other classmates that i have or other experiences that i had from other historians you know uh, the way you're brought up really influences how you view things Mm-hmm. Right, the the they shape how how you examine certain things, and and once again, being bicultural, I, I felt that there was there was just something ingrained almost in the psyche of of these things that were there, even if people weren't overtly pointing to them. Right, mm-hmm. so there's mm-hmm. something there that even if you weren't born in in the 1950s. And experienced what happened, once again, going back to the article, experienced what happened in 1968 in Mexico City. There's something there that's ingrained, right? Even if mm-hmm. even if I was born 150 years after El Paso was separated from Juarez and became part of the United States, there's just something there in the psyche, the way I see it, the way I feel it, that informs so much of the things that you see. And the way you 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 almost live your life, you know. There's there's once again going back to this this Mexican American being Mexican American, and there's seeing Canelo or not even Canelo, just Mexican boxers, and seeing and 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 almost wanting to connect with them, wanting to to look for the next great Mexican hero or Mexican American hero. There's just something there that that. Once again, it's it's part of the psyche. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to say there's so many layers to to the. Let's. I'm just going to focus on the on the Canelo piece. Um, a lot of things that are, are relevant to 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 what we consider to be of of, of great value here at Grandstand. Uh, I was wondering, you know, you mentioned soccer. I was wondering if you'd like to come back at some point in the future and and, and talk some football with us. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't follow soccer as close as, as I do boxing, but I mean, you know, essentially what I'm looking at is anything but the game anyway. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that, that'd be great. I'm, I'm, I'm actually uh, working on a piece right now that won't be out until uh, around uh, World Cup time next year, and I'm, I'm following, uh, I'm talking to Mexican-American members of the United States uh, American Outlaws fan base. Mm-hmm. And I'm also talking to uh, Mexican Americans who have decided to root and join Pancho Villa's army, which is mm-hmm. the counterpart of the American mm-hmm. Outlaws. And you know, there's a lot of uh, interesting dynamics that work there, and, and why they choose to to root for who they choose to root, and not just root for them, but join these fan bases. Right? It's one thing to sit at home and 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 cheer with your red, white, and blue. Yeah, to become active is different, right? Yeah, it's another thing to go out there and and be just one of the handful of of Latinos who's who's actually rooting 
against what many would say is your is your home country, at least of of, of origin or of heritage. So, yeah, that's that's uh, that's something that I find fascinating and something that I'm currently working on. So, yeah, I would I would be uh, honored to come back. Oh, we we find that, that incredibly fascinating. So yes, so please, please, we're we're excited. I'm excited to read that piece, Professor. You got anything else before we sign off? No, just want to um, thank you, Roberto. The, like uh, I came across your your work in that in that Chavez piece um, when it was put out. In, what was it like? Maybe six months ago or so. Um, yeah, for the, the Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, I've been a big fan ever since, and um, you, you're doing excellent work. That, as we well, thank talked about earlier, I don't think anyone is doing the doing what you're doing, and it's uh, it's right up our alley. It's it's nothing more enjoyable than reading pieces like that. Well, thank you, thank you for reading. Yeah, thank you for writing those. And again, uh, I, I I second uh, what the professor just said. Um, just thoroughly enjoyable. I love the depth of them. Um, I love that uh, I try to scroll down and, and, and I see that the piece is not going to end for another few pages. That, that makes me happy, too. I'm like, yes, this thing's going to go on for a while because I'm, I'm just getting into it. Um, there's nothing more disappointing than a, a writer taking you in a, a direction and then just kind of leaving you out to dry because i got to bring it home. But thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. Um, yeah, please keep it up. Uh, you have uh, fans uh, here at Grandstand. And uh, hope 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 we talk uh, again soon about that about the the outlaws and the Pancho Villa's army. Well, thank you, thank you for having me again. Thank you for reading. All right, we're out. Uh, get to work, cabrones. Talk soon. Adios. Estar tirado siempre en la arena Y por las noches conversar con Elena O todo el tiempo para ver las estrellas Con la María en el trigal Me gusta andar pero no sigo el camino Pues lo seguro ya no tiene y con el verano muy lejos y con mi madre regresaron